Nightmare of the Discussion Mark Messages. Beware the Redwood Bureau, a secret organization which captures and researches creatures and objects that defy explanation. Their reckless procedures have led to countless innocent lives lost. I am Agent Conroy. I worked for the Redwood Bureau, but I have escaped them to leak their reports to the unsuspecting public. You have the right to know. Vaults of classified information, where the Redwood Bureau guards secrets that stretch the boundaries of what's possible, lies a file that few have the clearance to access. It's a file that unveils the Humane Alternate Reality Prison Experiment, known as HARP. A project so profound in its implications, so chilling in its application, that it challenges the very nature of our existence. I am Agent Conroy, and what I'm about to share with you is not a tale of science fiction or a figment of imagination. It's a cold, hard reality that I've witnessed firsthand during my tenure at the Bureau. HARP was conceived as an answer to an unspoken question. A solution to a problem that transcends conventional justice. It's a place of confinement, not in our world, but in a realm that defies logic and reason. A place where the guilty are sent, not just to be punished, but to be transformed, tormented, and twisted. I've been part of operations that delved into the unknown, that sought to harness forces beyond our control. I've seen the thin line that separates our reality from something far more terrifying. And I've witnessed the cost of crossing that line. This report follows the path of Father Martin Brook, a man who found himself at the crossroads of morality and duty. A man who, like many of us, grappled with the weight of decisions that bore consequences beyond understanding. Father Brooks' story is not just a cautionary tale. It's a window into a world that exists in the shadows of our own. A world that we've glimpsed, but never fully understood. The information I'm about to reveal is beyond classified. It's a piece of a puzzle that bears terrifying implications, and this case goes far beyond what information I've managed to extract. But know this, HARP is real. The horrors within it are real, and the questions it raises about justice, humanity, and the very fabric of our reality are as real as the air we breathe. What has been learned cannot be unlearned. Once you know the dangers of HARP, do not allow it into your world for it is only a matter of time. As an associate of the Redwood Bureau, I'm no stranger to the horrors that lurk beneath our reality. Forces at work that defy comprehension. My role is not operational. It's more of a moral compass in a system I despise. While others pursue a Monday through Friday 9 to 5 life, I am working nearly 24 hours a day. My work goes with me wherever I go. I lie awake, fully aware of what is at the tip of our reality, a nightmare of our own creation. I've been at this job for over 10 years, counseling different victims 
different prisoners, trying to save their souls. The Humane Alternate Reality Prison Experiment, or HARP, began as a pilot project within the Bureau. Aaron Moby, a brilliant scientist, discovered how to access an alternate reality. A dark and twisted place, initially without purpose, until the Bureau saw potential. Now, those found guilty of crimes against the Bureau or sourced from facilities no longer willing to hold them are sentenced to life, or more accurately, death in harp. A terrifying prison where the very fabric of existence is a living nightmare. I despise this system, but there's nothing I can do to change it. I can't even tell anyone. My colleagues may not care, but I feel a responsibility to make sure the sentenced have a chance to speak with someone who does actually care. Hell is real, and we created it. I arrive at the facility at 9 a.m., parking as far away from the experimental wing as possible. I need the walk time. It helps me think. But the short walk is over before I know it. I'm at the building, passing through security and walking down the halls. Today I'm led to cell number 59. Inside, a young man who can't be older than 20 sits on a small cot. The guard next to me clangs his flashlight against the door. Simpson? The kid looks up. Father is here to see you, the guard announces. There's a split second of confusion in the young man's eyes before he sees me and my white collar and realizes the guard didn't mean his actual father. I give a polite nod and the kid goes back to staring at the wall. The guard lets me in and I sit across from the kid. Most other counselors working for the bureau will only meet in the interrogation rooms. Not me. I don't care how dangerous the person is. If someone kills me, then they kill me. We all deserve to burn for what's happening here. The steel chair scrapes across the concrete floor as I move it back and stretch my legs. How are you, my child? It's Charles. I'm not your child. He spits. I give a soft smile. How old are you, Charlie? The kid stares at me. How old do you think? That's about what I expected. I can't imagine what you're going through, but... I'm going to a better place? He interrupts, his voice dripping with sarcasm. My suffering will be over soon? It's all part of the Bureau's plan? I've heard it before. Indeed you have. And that is not what I am here to tell you. I'm simply here to say I'm sorry. I get the kid's attention. He glares up at me, but there's a softness to it. He may be receiving kindness he's never had in his life. What catches him off guard? What do, you, what do you mean? He asks, his voice trembling. No matter what you have done, no matter who you are, you do not deserve this fate. No one does, and I'm sorry. The kid stands up, his eyes wide for a moment. Does this mean I can go? I lean back, shocked. Wait, what? Am I being let go? 
No, you're not. I'm just apologizing for the system you were a victim to. I choke out the last words, the weight of the Bureau's actions heavy on my shoulders. The kid stares at me, his wide eyes narrowing, a fire behind them. The fire of impending hell. You're sorry? I beg your forgiveness, Charlie. No one deserves... Your apology? Your forgiveness? This system is here because of people like you. And now I have to suffer for all eternity. For what? Because I tried to expose the Redwood Bureau's secrets? Because I saw what they were doing, and unlike you, I couldn't keep quiet? I hang my head, the weight of the Bureau's system heavy on my shoulders. You have every right to be angry. What you did was driven by a desire for justice, not malice. Well, thank you for the permission. I felt bad about being mad until you said it was okay. I stand and approach the boy. Please, allow me to pray with you. I can't change the system, but at least let me do this. You don't deserve such a harsh punishment for seeking the truth. I know this. The Bureau knows this. The child stares at me, fists clenching. You're right. I don't deserve it. Not yet. He launches at me, and we both fall to the ground. His fists pummel my face. I feel my head bounce off the concrete floor with a dizzying flash of pain. His pale skin is covered in red speckles. I can't tell if it's his blood or mine. The last sounds I hear are the guards running into the room as the boy cries and screams. We have both earned our place in hell. I come to a few hours later. It's dark in whatever room I'm in, but an orange haze comes in through a nearby window. Pain courses through my body. I can feel my pulse behind what must be a swollen shut eye. I reach up to confirm this, but my hand stops short. A soft clank sounding through the room. I move the thin blanket that hangs draped across my lower body and see that one of my wrists has been cuffed to the bed. Panic immediately rises in my chest. I can feel my heartbeat quicken. I pull at the cuff, but it's firmly in place. I tug, twist, and yank, but it's no good. The cold steel marks my wrist with soft red and pink lines. I settle down and look around the room. It seems to be a standard hospital room. Did the Simpson kid really mess me up that bad? An IV runs from the crook of my right elbow to a stand near the bed. Must have been worse than I thought. But it's not like I don't deserve it. I deserve much worse. We all do. I thought he would kill me, and I... Wouldn't have blamed him if he had. I don't know all the facts of the inmates I see, but Charlie's actions surprised me. He tried to expose the Bureau's dark secrets, and for that he would suffer eternally. What they were going to do to him was so much harsher than anything he did or could have done. An electronic whir in the corner gets my attention. I glance over. 
I don't see anything at first, but as I keep looking, I can make out a red dot near the ceiling, rotating back and forth. It's a camera. Wherever they put me, someone was keeping watch on me. I watch the camera move back and forth, then hear the door across the room open. A young woman steps into the room with me, decked out in harp uniform. I say young, but everyone is young to you when you're in your 60s. She looks like she's probably in her late 20s or early 30s, still half my age. She closes the door behind her and approaches the bed. Father Martin, how are you feeling? The young woman in a harp uniform asks. So I'm still in the facility, I think to myself. I have certainly been better, I reply, still feeling the ache from the attack. I raise my cuffed hand. Can you get me out of these? I'm sorry, I can't. She sighs, her face simulating a hint of sympathy. Confusion and frustration mount within me. She pulls out a cigarette, lighting it. I'd really rather you didn't, I say quickly. She exhales a cloud of smoke, her eyes cold. Sorry, Father. It doesn't matter what you'd rather have. You're on your way out. Excuse me? I cough, disbelief washing over me. What is that supposed to mean? You've been sentenced to harp. You'll be joining your friend Charlie there later tomorrow. I sit up straight, panic rising. You must have me mistaken for someone else. I won't be going to harp. I haven't done anything wrong. For those who work within the Redwood Bureau, sedition is a crime. Always has been. She says, taking another drag. I don't serve the Bureau in that capacity. I have nothing to be seditious to. You're part of the system. Telling a criminal that they've been unjustly sentenced in a system that makes no mistakes is indeed sedition. Her words are precise. Cutting. This doesn't make any sense. I'm allowed to have my own thoughts, my own beliefs. You certainly are. But when you undermine the very system you serve... She glances at the camera. We have no choice but to remove you. That's not how that works. We're not a tyrannical society. We are, actually. She cuts me off. But that's beside the point. Desperation creeps in. Please, there's been a misunderstanding. I want to talk to someone. An attorney, anyone. That won't be happening. She says, her smile cruel. The hell it won't. Careful, father. She taunts. That's no way for a man such as yourself to speak. I feel helpless, trapped. This is what every person sentenced to heart must feel. Once the system makes its choice, it doesn't go back. But it has to be wrong this time. My personal beliefs shouldn't sentence me like some actual criminal. This can't be happening, I whisper. Well, it is. The officer stands up and extinguishes the rest of her cigarette. I was just sent in to inform you of the situation and deliver your documents. She pulls a folded up wad of papers out of her back pocket. She hands them to me without unfolding them. I don't reach for them, so she just holds them for a second, then tosses it onto the bed. 
Your sentencing will be tomorrow at 0900. Let us know what you want for a last meal this evening, and we'll arrange for it. She turns and walks to the door. Or don't. I really don't give a shit. My job here is done. With that, she leaves the room. I grab the papers, crumple them into a ball, and throw them across the room. The evening comes and goes. When asked what final meal I would like, I decline to answer. Maybe some part of me thinks they won't follow through with the execution if I never give an answer. But I know that's bullshit. I've lost all care for my no-cursing rule. Why did I follow any of these rules? Is God even real? How could he let me be punished like this? I was literally fighting against the unjust system. I used my position to try and comfort others. There was no selfishness to my deeds. This is the payment I receive? You know what? I don't regret the help, though. I don't regret being with others to help them through what was surely the worst time of their lives. It's definitely mine. All the other stuff pisses me off, nevertheless. I did not partake in any vices, smoking, drinking, or otherwise. I took no wife. And as mentioned earlier, I didn't even curse. Looks like all that energy was wasted. But I refused to believe time was wasted in helping others. Even if I received no reward for it, I would do it all over again. Or I would give it up in a heartbeat to get out of this situation. I'm a good person, but not that good. I can't believe this is happening. I stay up through the night, and a guard, different from the day before, finally comes for me. He has a lazy look in his eyes and a shadow of a beard across his face. I can't help but begin to cry as he approaches the bed. Please, please let me go. You don't have to do this. He doesn't look at my face, just uncuffs me from the bed and proceeds to cuff my hands together. A burst of desperation hits me, and I wrestle my arms out of his grasp. He doesn't even look surprised. Just rears back and smacks me, the back of his hand connecting with my swollen shut eye. I scream out and he grabs my free hand. Don't try that again, father. First and only warning. He finishes cuffing my hands together. Why would I not try it again? I have nothing to lose, I mutter to myself. Because it'll make your last moments here very unpleasant, he replies. I give up as he finishes restraining me and has me stand and walk out of the room. Warning, signal interruption detected. Signal connection restored. I'm taken down a hall that smells of piss and bleach. The lights above me flicker. I squint my eyes, tired from the lack of sleep. Is sleep a thing in harp? What will I do with my time? Will I be a ghost for all of eternity? Forever cursed to wander the world but unable to interact with anyone or anything? I can see the others that are imprisoned there though, right? These thoughts race through my head as I begin to realize I do not know nearly as much as I thought I did about this place.
We only know that it exists. Or do we know that? What if this place doesn't exist and was just established as a new system in order to give the Bureau free reign to sentence people to death as they saw fit? I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but I can't stop my mind as it speeds through all the possibilities of what I will soon be encountering. I know nothing, and this is the first time in my life I'm willing to finally admit that. We stop at a room with a chair and nothing else. There are two other people here. One, a woman wearing a tight bun and holding a single sheet of paper. The other, a man in a medical gown. The seat has straps covering its entirety. Two for my legs, two for my waist. One for each of my arms, and one for my head. The guard pushes me into the room, closing and locking the door behind us. I begin to weep as I am placed into the chair. The woman reads off the paper. Father Martin Brook, you are hereby sentenced to life in harp without the possibility of return for the charge of sedition against the Redwood Bureau. All your possessions, if not inherited, will be forfeit to the Redwood Bureau. This matter is uncontestable. Stop, don't do this. I try to yell over her, but she doesn't stop. She keeps reading as I pull against the restraints. The doctor prepares what looks to be an oxygen tube connected to a metal canister holding God knows what. Before your sentencing, you are allowed a brief series of final words, she finishes, looking up to me from the paper. I don't deserve this. No one deserves this. Please. They all stand in the room looking at me, silent and completely unflinching. The doctor approaches me and puts the tube into my nostrils. I try to fight back, but it's useless. My head doesn't budge under the leather restraining strap. The smell of ash invades my senses. It's overpowering. I cough and wheeze. My vision blurs and becomes a tunnel. The room around me gets smaller, shrinking in size until it's just the people next to me and myself on the chair. And then, nothing. No pain. No shrinking room. The room is back to its original size. I can still see the people around me. I turn my head and it moves freely. I fall forward under the cold white floor, a sudden chill enveloping me. I look back expecting to see someone who had let me go. Instead I see the team of people looking at me. Not me though. My body. The body I used to be in. My body is in the restraints, lifeless and whatever I am now lies on the floor. I look around and everything seems off, distorted, wrong. The walls appear to close in on me, shadows shifting and pulsating like the beating of a dark heart. I look at my arm and it's not there. Not really. It's a twisted, ethereal semblance of what it once was, 
an unsettling echo of my former self. I glanced at my other arm, the same haunting emptiness. I looked to the lower half of my body and it's all see-through, like a distorted reflection in a nightmarish mirror. I'm not a ghost, not exactly. I'm something less defined, less understood. A presence caught between worlds, condemned to exist in a realm that defies comprehension. A realm that is harp. The terror of my new existence sets in, a horror that goes beyond any physical pain. I realize that I am trapped in a place far worse than any earthly prison, a place where the very fabric of my being has been unraveled. I am lost, likely forever. The guard approaches my body, the physical one, and removes the restraints. My body slumps in the chair, lifeless and grotesque, eyes closed and mouth hanging open. A chill runs down my spine as I realize I am witnessing my own death. Get him out of here, the woman orders, her voice cold and unfeeling. Take the body to the incinerator. I follow the guard out of the room, my ethereal form trailing behind as he takes my body down the hall. Get back here, let me go, I scream. But there's an unnatural haunting echo to my voice. I reach for the guard, but my fingers pass through his physical body as if I'm nothing but a ghostly breeze. No matter how much I try, I can't make contact with any physical being. I'm trapped in a realm of shadows and echoes, a twisted mockery of the world I once knew. The guard takes my body to an elevator. I follow him and ride the elevator down, a sick fascination compelling me to watch as my physical self is taken away. I try to touch my own body, but there's nothing. My form moves like wind through an open window, a transparent whisper of what I once was. The elevator doors open, and the guard continues down the hall with my physical body. He uses a stretcher I'm on to push open a set of double doors at the end of the hallway. Inside, a bright and steel incinerator stands at the opposite side of the room, its gaping maw hungry for flesh. With no care or respect for my death, my body is unceremoniously tossed into the incinerator and burned. I step inside the incinerator drawn to the horror of my own destruction. The flames lick my arms and legs, and I watch in morbid fascination as my skin bubbles and melts, the very essence of my humanity consumed by fire. As the flames consume, a searing pain unlike anything I've ever felt before engulfs me. This isn't just the burning of flesh, it's the annihilation of my very soul. My essence is ripped apart, each fragment consumed by the fire, 
until all that remains is a hollow shell. The room begins to twist and turn, the walls melting and contorting as reality itself unravels. I'm pulled into a vortex, a swirling abyss that leads to the true harp realm. I land in a place that defies description, a nightmarish landscape filled with twisted spires and dark valleys, all bathed in a sickly blood-red glow. The air is thick with the screams of the damned, a cacophony of terror that chills me to the core. I'm not alone. Emerging from the shadows are others the Bureau sent here, but they are no longer human. They have been transformed into demons, their bodies twisted and grotesque, their eyes filled with madness and hunger. They surround me, their voices a symphony of torment, each one reveling in my fear and despair. Welcome, Father, one hisses, its voice a raspy whisper. We've been waiting for you. Another laughs, a sound that sends shivers down my spine. You helped send us here, and now you join us. They close in on me, their hands reaching out, claws digging into my soul. The pain is unbearable, a relentless assault on my very being. I scream, but there's no escape. They tear at me ripping away my humanity, my sanity, my hope. I'm pulled into their clutches and thrown into whatever hell they desire, forced to relive my sins, my failures, my betrayals. Each demon was once a person, a soul condemned by the Bureau, and now they take their revenge, turning everything human within me into weapons of torture. Days melt into weeks, weeks into months, and years, time losing all meaning as I'm subjected to an endless cycle of agony and despair. Slowly, inexorably, I begin to change. My soul hardens, my empathy withers, my humanity slips away. I become one of them. A demon of harp, my existence reduced to an eternal nightmare of torment and cruelty. The last vestiges of the man I once was are consumed by the hellish realm. And all that remains is a twisted, malevolent creature, forever bound to the darkness. alternate reality prison experiment, or HARP, stands as a testament to both the ingenuity and the darkness that lurk within the corridors of the Redwood Bureau. It's not just a containment system. It's a realm of punishment and transformation that defies our understanding. HARP was initially envisioned as a solution for the most irredeemable criminals, those whose acts transcended conventional punishment. But as with many things within the Bureau, the lines have blurred and the scope has widened. 
Now, individuals sent to harp range from murderers and terrorists to political dissidents, whistleblowers, and even those guilty of minor infractions against the Bureau. The criteria for sentencing to harp has become murkier, the justifications more sinister. The Bureau's monitoring of harp is an ongoing and deeply classified operation. Through a combination of experimental technology and forbidden arcane practices, they've created a window into this alternate reality, allowing them to observe the twisted souls within. These observations have not only satisfied a morbid curiosity, but have given rise to plans that are as ambitious as they are terrifying. There are whispers within the Bureau of harnessing the tormented souls within Harp, of using their pain and transformation for purposes that remain shrouded in secrecy. The very essence of these beings, twisted and reshaped by Harp, holds a potential that the Bureau is only beginning to unlock. But the ambitions of the Redwood Bureau extend beyond mere experimentation. Plans are underway to present Harp to governments around the world, to sell it as a humane and efficient solution to a growing problem. Beneath the veneer of justice and rehabilitation lies a web of control, influence, and manipulation. The Bureau's reach is expanding, and Harp is but one piece of a larger puzzle, a puzzle that, when completed, may grant them unprecedented power over not just our world, but the very fabric of reality itself. The story of Father Martin Brook is a grim reminder of the cost of such ambition, of the price paid in blood when the Bureau is left uncontested, without empathy, without regulation. As we close this report, we must reflect on the questions it raises, the ethical dilemmas it presents, and the chilling reality it unveils. For Harp is not just a prison, it's a mirror to our soul, a window into our darkest fears, and a warning of what may become if we allow the forces in the shadows to act unchallenged. The Redwood Bureau's influence grows, and with it, the shadows lengthen. I wish that I could say that this case is over, but it seems to me that the use of Harp and the twisted souls within it has only just begun. Just begun. Just begun.